guys. How are you doing today? I hope you're doing well. I just want to apologize for not uploading last week. I experienced some technical difficulties and I'm hoping that this episode works. Basically, I recorded this episode and I couldn't listen to the audio back. And then when I did, whatever audio that was recorded was all crackly. So I couldn't upload or post last week. So hopefully this episode works and it's out. In this episode, I want to talk about budgeting and finance. I'm not usually someone that's interested in finance or thinks about money too much. I kind of, you know, get my paycheck every week and then uh, I pay the rent, utilities, whatever. I put some money aside and kind of hope that whatever money is in my savings account grows. It's probably not the best approach, but I kind of just think, oh, you know, if I just avoid it, um, it'll all work out. But (laughs) it doesn't work like that. I didn't learn about finance or money really like in a practical sense when I was at school. And it's not something I talk about much with my parents or my family. So I I found like if I want to know something, I've just got to go out and research it myself. I just want to say a little disclaimer, like whatever I say in this episode, it's not don't substitute this for financial advice. You should obviously go out and do your own research and speak to financial consultants to find out what the best approach is for your situation. Why I've thought about finances recently is because of the crazy increase in oil prices like a liter for petrol now is over two dollars which is insane i've seen like 225 i think i saw i drove past a petrol station it was 245 a liter for petrol which is just insane and it just made me really think about and reflect how much money am i actually saving and do i have an emergency fund and if i do how much should it be Do I still have enough money to splurge and still enjoy the things that I want to do or want to spend my money on? And I looked into quite a few videos and different websites and books and I realized how important it is to find information that is specific and relevant to you. I think because we have so much access to all this information, some of the information is talking about 401ks. That's not really relevant for people here in Australia where I am. And I decided to listen to this audio book called The Barefoot Investor by Scott Pape. And I heard I had great reviews and I found it was very easy to listen to. I tend to listen to audiobooks because I like listening to podcasts and things like that. I think an audiobook is basically an extension of a podcast episode just into one topic in particular. Like when I listen to an audiobook, like I'm listening to the basic overall concept and it's easier to digest. But because this information is so specific, I, I guess it's good because it, you have more of a proactive approach into changing whatever habits you need to to make sure you are successful in saving money. I find that I need to often refer back to specific sections just to make sure that I am interpreting the information as it was intended. So I think if you are looking into, I don't know, whatever type of finance book or website, it's it's better to do it in a physical form because I like highlighting, I like rereading 
it a couple of times to make sure it makes sense to me. I think it was a little bit difficult to go back and listen. It, like, even though Audible has, like, bookmarks and clips where you can go back to and re-listen to it, I, I think I like reading the, the physical copy. That's just myself personally. But if audiobooks work for you, then that's great. I just want to talk about a few takeaways that I found for the book. Some of it may be universal. I'm not sure. I haven't yet implemented it. So I just wanted to share my few takeaways that I found for the book that were interesting to me. And I do want to implement this practice. And I just want to talk about my predictions of what some of the obstacles I might have to overcome. So basically this Scott guy, from what I understand, he does full-time consulting, finance consulting for non-profit organizations, and he still is a farmer part-time in Melbourne. One of the first things he mentions is to schedule a monthly barefoot date night. He mentions that date nights are the perfect way to track how your financial goals are going and if you're going to stick to these steps. I like that this book is really easy to read and the way he writes it is like he's talking to you as a friend and he mentions you know date night should be enjoyable you should have it with a glass of wine and some dis delicious food I think he mentions garlic bread. It's basically like a date night is used so you have a ritual of looking at your finances regularly. So the first five weeks, you have a date night once a week. And then after the five weeks, you have a date night once a month. I'm really excited to do this because it's fun to have a New Year's resolution. It wasn't a New Year's resolution I intended for this year, but I think it's exciting because it's a resolution or a goal that doesn't involve dieting or going to the gym, which is quite refreshing. I remember the first part he mentioned, he talked about your fees, your bank account fees, and how sometimes the big four banks charge you a account keeping fee or even a fee of when you try to withdraw money from an ATM that may be not your bank's usual ATM. I think we've all been there where we've gone out and we need to get some cash out and the ATM that's at the pub or the convenience store is just like this random independent ATM and every time you try to withdraw money, you're charged like $2.50 or $2 or whatever it is, which basically is a litre for fuel, which is, you know, a lot these days. He mentioned by switching to a new bank, you will save, you know, I think it was like $477 a year and potentially thousands of dollars for the years to come. And that's just in fees alone, which is crazy because I never really thought about how much it would be. I just thought all banks charge account keeping fees. And that was normal. And I didn't even think that potentially switching to a new bank, I wouldn't have to pay any fees. I am a little bit nervous about switching to a different bank. I think the one that he mentioned was ING. They're known for not having any fees. You'll be charged $0. Doesn't matter what, what ATM you're trying to withdraw money and just like ongoing account fees, it will always be $0. As he provides information, you kind of think in your head, but... It's going to be so hard to change to a different bank. I have to do X, Y, and Z. It's, you know, all my direct debits linked to my bank account. And he kind of made the, the process so easy that you can just follow it. So he, I think he mentions over the entree, you just do a simple Google. It's easy for you to sign up. I guess you have like that negative script in your head that oh, it's too hard. 
why do I want to switch to a new bank? All my bills and my rent and everything is linked up to my current bank. And I guess the book already preempts that. And so he just mentions, you know, it's so easy. You can do it over a glass of wine. Uh, before the entrees come out, you can already switch to the new bank. You've already entered all your details in. I think it kind of second gets myself because I didn't think that he would talk back to me <laughs> in a sense, that he would just keep going. But I, I think it's nice because he, I guess everyone has the similar excuses like, I don't want to change because it's too hard. Well, well, no, it's not. And if you do, you could save thousands of dollars. And I think that's the same with any habit that you're trying to implement. You know, sometimes when you want to go to the gym, you have to wake up early in the morning. And when the alarm goes off, you just want to hit the snooze button because your bed is so comfortable. The way that he's written the book kind of preempts the negative voice that you have in your head. So I thought that was really interesting. The next thing he also mentioned was your super fund. Now, I guess a lot of people don't really think about the super fund. You know, the government is makes it mandatory for your employees to pay 9.5% with your wages. So when you do retire, you've, you've got some money there. But I guess we never really think about it because it's not the money that you need right now. So why would we look into it? I guess you only kind of, for, well, for myself anyway, I only think about Superfund when I when I would need it. I think it's an interesting concept. And I've, I've never really thought about, it's not something that I, I use right now. So I kind of push it to the back of my mind. And whenever I need it, then I'll, then I'll think about it. But by then it'll be too late, right? So the book says to review your super fund and compare fees and check what your funds invest in. And if you need a help, he's even written a script. So when you do decide to switch or ask questions with the new super fund, all you have to do is follow it and read along like it's so easy. He mentions it's best to increase your super to 15% because it's the best place to invest your money long term regardless of whatever age you are right now, you won't even notice it after a few months. So I guess what I realized the main basic concept was in this book was to make things automatic. So you don't really have to think about it and you have no choice but to save or invest your money for the future you. Which is good, I guess, because I guess when you're starting off with a new habit, you need something to be automatic. So you get used to it and you don't have to think about it. Your boss or your employer puts 9.5% into your super. But he says, well, the book suggests that you should increase your super to 15%. The official term is making pre-tax contributions, which is a salary sacrifice. And because you already have 9.5% from your wages being put into your super, all you need to do is bump it up by a further 5.5% to reach 15% in total. Also, I think you also mentioned that it was great because you avoid some tax because you're technically putting more money into your super so you'll be taxed less at the financial year. The third thing that I thought was interesting was insurance. And he said, insurance is so easy, it could be sorted before finishing one beer. How Australian is that? <laughs> and um, basically, insurance is used to protect bad stuff that might happen. And you should only insure things that will kill you financially. So he has an example in the book which mentioned that your iPhone breaking will not. I remember when I bought my iPhone, 
they asked, you know, do you want to pay for an extension for Apple Care for one or two years warranty? And I usually, when they ask that question, I kind of think, oh, maybe I should buy insurance because I always tend to drop my phone about two years in. Like my phone will be fine for the first two years and somehow I break my phone because I've dropped it. Even though I've dropped it a million times before then, but around the two-year mark, I drop it face down and it fully cracks, like the screen shutters. And I think, oh, okay, when I buy my new phone, I'm going to buy insurance because I want to make sure that if it doesn't happen, I should just replace the screen and it shouldn't be that expensive. But this book is saying, no, you don't need to buy insurance for Apple Care, which kind of makes sense because if it does happen again, you pay, what, $100, $200 to fix your screen. You don't need to buy a whole new phone because basically your phone's still working fine and it'll be a lot cheaper than buying Apple Care. Because I remember I bought it before and I didn't even really use it. And when I did need it, the insurance had finished. So, <laughs> yeah. I think that was interesting to know. Things like your house burning down, being robbed, floods. I think people are really looking into insurance more, particularly with the floods that were happening around Queensland and New South Wales. Maybe your significant other or you are permanently disabled. Knock on wood, that doesn't happen. But, you know, things like that that are out of your control and you'll be covered and you won't be hurt too significantly financially. He also mentioned to choose the highest excess because the insurance will be cheaper. I didn't even think about that. Um, he also mentioned don't automatically pay insurance each year. And he also provides a script to say to your current insurer, you know, for, for new members, you're offering this. I want you to match this because if you don't, I'm going to go to someone else. And they often try to keep you as a customer. So they'll either match that offer that, he's, that they're giving to new customers or or maybe something even cheaper because you're a valid customer. Um, home and content insurance, car insurance, all things like that, all boring stuff you don't learn about at school but you need to know. You need to know to be an adult. And um, private health insurance. So I thought was interesting because he's like, if you're under 31 years old, which I'm still under that threshold, or you're earning less than 90k a year or less than 180 as a couple you don't really need health insurance or private health insurance because our public healthcare system is quite good but he said don't get extras because you'll be charged more whether you use it or not which kind of makes sense but I think when you are thinking about insurance and you know you're going through the application process you think oh what are the bad things that are going to happen maybe I should just get the extras and this book is basically saying, no, you don't need to get that, which I, I think is interesting. The next thing I want to touch on is his concept called the serviette strategy, which it's basically a flowchart of where all his money goes in different accounts. And he wanted to make the process so simple that you could write it at the back of a serviette. Hence, that's where the name came from. So... He talks about these things called buckets, which are your accounts essentially, and that will plan where your money is coming from and where it should go. The book makes the concept of setting up these buckets or accounts so easy for you that basically this is where you should be allocating your money after each pay. Um, maybe I'll put a poster of 
I'll screenshot it on Instagram, but I'll put it in the description. But basically, there is a, he draws a tap running from the tap. That's your income. And it flows into something that's called a blow bucket, B-L-O-W. And that's your everyday transaction account. So if you can picture the water coming in, your income, going into the blow bucket, which is your everyday transaction account. And that's directly put in from your employer. So whatever salary that you get, it goes into there. Picture another bucket next to it called the mojo bucket, which is your safety net online savings account. This is with your other institution that has no account keeping fees. And then you also have something, which is your third bucket, called your grow bucket. So that is things like your super that has a really low super account keeping fees. And this is the bucket where you focus on saving and investing your money. And he says that your savings will basically double every five to ten years. All the income that you get for your shares on your investment property, which he does touch on, but I won't speak about in this episode, goes into that bucket. So I mentioned before that he likes everything to be automatic. And the reason behind that is because your willpower, as much as we want it to be, is not automatic and it doesn't work like that. Willpower is a muscle that often gets fatigued. And he talks about how Barack Obama only wears black or navy suits. And that's because he has so many important decisions to make. Whatever energy he has, he wants to save that for making important decisions. So deciding what to wear each morning to work is not an important decision. So anything that can cut down on using that willpower muscle. So basically he's saying people aren't better than you or they don't have more willpower than you. They just have better systems in place. They require less thought and more conscious energy, which I love. I I really like that idea. And I've heard about, you know, you only have a certain amount of decisions that are good decisions that you make in a day. Any system that you can put in place to cut down those decisions are the best. So, So what goes into your blow bucket? So after you get your income, and it's coming out of the tap and it goes into the blow bucket, 60% of your income goes into there. And that's to account for your everyday expenses such as rent, which is about 30%, utilities, which is around five to 10%, that's power, gas, broadband, five to 10% for transport, insurance, which is about 5% if you've got it, and food, which is about five to 10%. So that's your daily transaction account. And this is, based on an average account he does mention like if your income fluctuates kind of like a freelancer then you should try and have as many fixed expenses as low as possible in there he also mentions that if you're a low income earner you you might need to change your percentages but basically the concept is is the same right so like whatever money you get you have a most of your income goes into your blow bucket because that's what your everyday transactions are 20% of your income goes into the fire extinguisher bucket so that's the stuff about that deals with emergencies finder.com.au found that 30% of Australians have less than $1000 to deal with emergencies so he's saying you know not getting tickets to Justin Bieber is an emergency he also mentioned That research suggests that financial stress is similar to physical torture. So stuff like credit card debt or your mortgage. So it's really important. So that's why it's really important to have something like a 
an emergency fund. 10% of your income goes into your splurge bucket. So this is your guilt-free splurges. So you can spend it on shoes, which is probably what I spend it on. What would I spend it on? I would spend it on makeup, shoes, clothes. That's I spend well over 10%. I already know that. <laughs> when I read this and I was like, 10%? That is not enough. So basically the concept is you should have your own, like a separate card from your everyday transaction, your fire extinguisher bucket card your for emergencies. You should have a separate card and write splurge on the top of it so you know when you buy certain things, you only use that card. And any money that's not in there, you cannot use. I spoke to my friend, my girlfriend, about this because she, you know, was aware of this book, aware of this concept, and she's she had tried it for a few months. And she did say it was good, but she mentioned that it was a little annoying having more than one card. But I've already used more than one card before. With my last housemate, we had a card just to pay for the expenses that we had together, so rent or anything like that. And I think writing on the card was probably good because I had two cards and they looked basically identical. And sometimes I would accidentally use our, or she would also by accident use our like rent card or our, like our joint bank account to pay for our own personal things because they looked so similar. So yeah, so he suggested to write splurge on the card to make sure that doesn't happen. And he said, you know, if you go out for a night and you're spending money on drinks or, or dinner and you don't have enough money left um, and once the money is gone, it's gone. You can't transfer it from another bank account. So I guess it kind of stops you from spending over your budget. And the last bucket is called a smile bucket. So 10% of your income should go into your smile bucket. So he says smile because this is the account that you're trying to save for bigger goals that take up longer time. So maybe a wedding or your honeymoon or something like that. It goes into there and it's supposed to make you smile, hence the name. He does mention that this figure can be changed depending on your living expenses and it needs everything that you have needs to be adjusted accordingly. But basically that's the concept. Most people only have one account, like the transaction account, like me. And he says that you transfer money for mortgage, rent, and hopefully you'll have enough for saving savings after. But, you know, you have things coming up, maybe a friend's wedding, you've your dog's sick, so you've got to pay for the bills, Christmas, and you spend a lot more money than you intended to for that month. I think this system is, is basically supposed to help with that. The fire extinguisher bucket is to be used for big savings too. So you could even put it to things like paying off, your house deposit or paying off your mortgage faster. It's used to pay off debt. There is a chapter I remember he talked about paying off debt if you've got credit card debt and what's the best way to tackle that. So I guess that account is used for that. Okay, so that's the overall concept. What are the issues I think I will run into? I remember when I was talking to my girlfriend about this, she said, it's great. If you stick to it, we stuck to it for a little bit, but then we kind of just got lazy because we got overwhelmed with the amount of debt that we had, which I guess is understandable because I, I think that's why I haven't looked into it for so long. And I've only looked into it because I thought, oh man, oil prices going up. What else is going to go up? What else is going to be, you know, out of our control that we haven't accounted for? 
it's similar to like the pandemic when it first happened people are scared and worried and like will we still have a job and all the prices kept going up and there's so many things that are uncertain that you just can't anticipate that will happen so I think that's why it's made me re-look into finances in this way and I am excited but I'm also a little bit nervous because I know (laughs) I just know myself and I just yeah, I love shopping and I love, you know, if I feel bad a day, like I'll just do some retail therapy online or in the store. I think what's going to be the most hardest for me. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. I am a little bit worried about changing banks because I think that will be a headache. But my friend assured me like, no, it's fun. You know, once you've got everything set up, like you get like really excited about the idea of saving money and it's it's great. But that's, that's one thing that I'm a little bit hesitant on. The super thing I think is a cool idea, you know, especially if you get a pay rise or something and sometimes you change jobs and you get paid out all your annual leave and entitlements, you get taxed more for that financial year. So I think it's kind of cool and I didn't think about the concept of, you know, salary sacrificing 5.5% or whatever it is into your super so that can keep growing while you keep working and you know, you won't get taxed as much at the financial year. Everyday expenses, the 60%, you know, doesn't really surprise me. I think it's crazy that we spend 60% on just everyday transaction things. Like, that's money you're not going to see back again. That's just like, that's gone. I know, like, he does say that, you know, you can adjust it to whatever, but as a rough general idea, 60%, that's gone. I think the um, emergency fund was a good concept because I know, like, I know I should have some sort of a savings, but I thought if there is emergency, do I just go into my savings? But I like that you've kind of got all these other accounts separated. So, you know, in, in the event this happens, like I want to buy these shoes, I go to my splurge account. If I want to save for my wedding or my honeymoon or a holiday, I go to this account. If something happens and like, you know, my house is flooded, and I need to get new floors and new carpet, I go to my emergency fund. I like that you kind of know which account to use in the event like something happens. I don't know if the breakdown of like 60, 20, 10, 10 is going to be for me. I have a feeling like I might just have to start it and see how I go and then maybe adjust the percentage to suit my lifestyle and what my goal is. I don't have like an overall goal yet. Um, for the smile bucket, you know, the, the big goals to save up for, I guess it would be a house at this stage. I mean, I would love a holiday, but who knows? I think, yeah, I think it would probably be a house to be honest. So that will be my journey and I'll touch base with you guys, maybe like a three months time or so, let you know how I go. I know there's a chapter in the book that talks about buying a house in about 20 months. Maybe I'll do, you know, more than one update like to see if this concept works I guess there's no harm in doing it because I know what I'm doing right now is not the most efficient way or or the best way and I think I have to remind myself like if this doesn't work out for me or you know I've tried a a a couple of different alternative ways and it, it doesn't work you know there's always other books out there I am going to keep researching different ways and I'll let you know how that goes as I find them I don't really like to put all my changes like I I don't like to just rely on one source I like to 
research and investigate a couple of different websites or authors or whatever about the same topic to see if there's better ways or if this is the right method or process for me. And yeah, so if you guys have read this book or you have your own, if you guys have read this book, I would love to know because I'm still a little bit hesitant, but I am excited because it can't be worse than what I'm already doing now. <laughs> um, if you have other books or recommendations for me, please let me know. I would love to research a little bit more. I don't like to rely on just one source. I like to do my research in a couple of different areas for the same topic to see um, what would work best for me. And on that happy note, that's the end of the episode. As always, loved hanging out with you. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, so you know every single time I upload. <laughs> I also have a TikTok, a Twitter, and Instagram at Marley Off Duty if you want to follow me there. And until the next episode, I'll see you later. Bye.